0: Welcome to the WinBack Marketing Podcast. There's gold buried in your lost customers. And in this podcast, you'll learn how sales and marketing leaders mine that gold using WinBack Marketing. This week, my guest is Hans Boonis. He's an acclaimed B2B tech growth strategist and co founder at Boonis and will also be sharing a number of compelling insights into the huge opportunity that WinBack presents in the enterprise world, along with the profound role that incentives play and so much more. If you're responsible for revenue, you'll find what Hans has to say is fascinating. Welcome to the show, Hans. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dan. I've been a follower for a
1: long time, and I'm glad that we finally got to connect.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful. I really love the quality of content you put out, so I'm really happy to actually meet and chat. Before we get to win Back, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your business?
1: Yeah, first of all, I'm just going to have to apologize to your audience It's a bit of a Scandinavian cold season, so I have a cup of tea in front of me, and so I'll be taking a sip from that every now and then, and my voice may crack a little bit, so just something to, for the audience to be aware of, but Bunas and Farashi, we are two people an advisory business. I, Mr. Sana Ferenci, my business partner, and I met when she was at the marketing director for a view enterprise in the Northern European region. For those in Northern Europe, in their context is the Nordics and Benelux essentially. And what we discovered through the work that we did back then when she was with HPE, but also gating up her experience prior to HPE and my experience also with other clients is that many, we felt very strongly that In the B2B tech arena, we've forgotten the basics. And the basics were in the sales and the go-to-market functions and the sales and marketing functions is that there's this notion that everyone's our customer. We're very focused on features and benefits sometimes, but not necessarily always focus on the, the value That we actually create what's the value that we actually create and this notion that everyone is our customer is we go after and pursue everyone at every time especially in the like in in the larger companies they think that everyone is a potential customer and i think the other thing given the fact that i came with a background out of the sort of intersection between marketing technology and data and insights and analytics i felt more and more as i saw the scott franker slides just continue to grow year over year with more and more martech solutions is that what are we actually what are we actually trying to do with all of this? And is this a, a is it a hindrance or is it an enabler? And I fell to the especially to the craft of both marketing and sales. If you look at the art part of that, it was dissipating more and more into the science. And I wasn't sure that the science was always healthy. Okay. So we got lazy to it too. So what we do in our business today is we work with our clients essentially to do some simple things. Most of them is actually going back to basics. The first and foremost thing is we help our clients to define who that ideal customer profile really is. The one that, and for us it's very simple. The ideal customer profile is the customer, the PDP organization that gets the most value from buying something from you. It's It's not about the size of them. It's about those that get the most value out of it. The second thing is we've been using advanced analytics, advanced machine learning models to create a new addressable market model, which is more says, okay, how many of these ideal customer profiles do we actually have? So forget about what would you typically say? In my country, there's 10,000 accounts with more than 10 million of euros of revenue. Yeah, that's very, it's interesting, but let's not fool ourselves. Not all those are your potential customers. Let's figure out who the ones that are and prioritize those. And then finally, I think the last thing we tend to do is we do a bit of an audit with the martech and sales tech and rev ops technology to figure out what is it that will give us the help to the next thing because if you know your customer and you have prioritized all your customers then it's one question left when when will they buy or when will they be in a buying mode and what's my action if i to go if I do something, that. so, you know, a long winded introduction that right? we work with, and we've been working from seed with seed clients. We also work with several fortune 500 clients in this particular space. Probably would like to work with more of the growth stage clients in sense, because as much as we understand the fortune 500 clients, the path to change is very long.
0: One of the things that I that really tracked me to your work was that focus on the ICP and really defining your TAM. And I'd love to talk more about that, but Mm. let's head into it. Let's head into Winback. So you mm. talked about there's driven by incentives. Can you tell me a little bit about how that plays out in terms of Winback in your large
1: enterprise world? Yeah, so if I look at my experience across a handful of, let's call it tech legacy companies on the infrastructure side and so forth, they're very much driven by quarter economy. They talk a very nice game in terms of what they do in long-term strategies and so forth. And they're very good at strategy, don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to it, they have shareholders. And those shareholders are typically going to get quarterly results or year-over-year results, changes, and so forth. And most of them have in the field for those people that carry quota and go and sell to customers. They typically get measured on a on two quarters, so on a half-year result. So in terms of win-back, as we were coming up to this conversation, there was a couple of things that I thought about that I'd seen, right? So a, a classical example, I've seen this multiple times, is that you lose a deal, right? It could be your incumbent. It, you could have lost it in a RFQ, RFP bid. And the contract length is defined. The contract length is defined to... Thirty-six months, forty-eight months, whatever it is, right? Three years, four years, five years. So let's make it simple: it's seventy-two months, right? And there is no incentive for anyone to log a new opportunity that says, "In seventy-two months, we can try to win back this customer." And there's not necessarily a play in place that says, "How do we nurture this relationship, even though we lost this deal?" They may do. My experience is many times they do a loss review, right? They do that and they document down the things. But what the natural thing in my view would have been is log an opportunity as a win-back, right? Or an acquisition, depending upon if it was your in, from the beginning or if it wasn't. And then sequence your plays until you get the, what do I do in the first 12 months and the next 12 months and then the 12 months proceeding up to that? But No. Maybe a sales manager somewhere, and I know a couple of these guys, they have an Excel sheet, they keep track of this, but the natural thing would have been to log it into a CRM system, right? Because the likelihood that the same account manager is responsible of that account, it's not, could be 50-50, right? So all of that learning you had for the opportunity pursuit is gone. It's not documented. They're not documented in any of these things. But no, we don't do that. You know why? Because we may get penalized when it comes to quota setting. We may get penalized that if I show my cards what I have, then someone's going to increase my quota. So that in, so everything is measured by, that whole behavior is measured, is driven by how people get measured. It would be the most natural thing to document this for the readiness in 36 months, but no. Because I may get penalized for that.
0: Yeah, can you just blow that out a little bit? Why do they get penalized just recording it in the CMRM? CMR, how does that How does that really... Why doesn't that do a lot more good than harm? She just walk us through that. Because
1: this whole notion of quota setting right, is an interesting in these big companies, right? The quota set. So you set an annual revenue target, which is what you communicate to the markets, right? If you're in these publicly set, traded, right? And that ups down model is built upon the data that they have of historical loan transactions combined with whatever the analysts in the marketplace are telling you and the investment banks and whatever else right so if Gartner says something and idc says something whatever else this market's going to grow 15 percent in the next year okay so they say okay and how much of the market share do we have what's our growth rate compared to our competitors whatever else so you have that number. and then it goes down to the, excuse me, to the operating units in the countries, the regions the sub regions. And they do a bottom up forecast. And they do that based upon what they've done in the past, what they have as their current customers and what they think they can acquire and so forth. And then it's a negotiation, right? But if I know that I have a 50 million win back opportunity coming up in that year, I don't want to flag that to my boss because they may load that into my
0: quota. So you're saying that there's no incentive put a win back in there. You're not, not going to get compensated for it. No, you're going to get compensated for it, but you need a couple of things. You need a couple of things in your bag.
1: And so systematically, you don't log anything until you get closer to it, then you log it. And it could be within the, in the planning process that you log that opportunity. What I'm trying to get to is that my worldview is very simple. If you are in a mature market as we are talking about now, selling a reasonably mature product and solutions like we're talking about now, and you know the length of the contract, and if it was your customer, you should record the end of contract as a new opportunity, and you should have a play that plays back to that. And it's not. And it's not done predominantly
0: for incentive reasons. Gotcha. Gotcha. So... Do you see a specific win-back strategy that tends to get worked a lot in your world? And if there isn't a specific one, like, why not?
1: I think one of the things that's very interesting, at least in my experience working with these, is that where do we draw the line between a win-back and now a new acquisition, right? So is that window, they didn't buy from us this time at three years, is it four years and five years? What tends to happen is that, is it... If you haven't touched an account for, let's say, two years or you don't have anything, it tends to, I very rarely when I work with these customers hear the term win back, they think about it as an acquisition, which I think is wrong And from a mentality perspective. I actually think if you have something in there you, and you've been an incumbent at some point in time, there has to be a legacy on both the buyer and the seller side in this, and you should be playing on that. But in many cases, seen mostly as, a, as an acquisition. We haven't done anything, then we, yeah. And I think so it's slightly different if the context changes dramatically in terms of what you're selling to them is different. But if you're selling roughly the same, then I, then I no,
0: they think of it as acquisition, not as win-back, which is too bad. And do you think that if they did think of it as win back that they would put those prospects in a special pool because you do know who the decision makers were or you knew at the time you had probably multiple contacts so it's easier to engage they've already used you before so there's this level of trust do you think that they should put them in their own special little cohort or bucket
1: i think it should and i think it not all but it depends on the size of this and size of the country and the market that you're operating but Most of these organizations run on a mix of hunter farmer structure, right? So, what happens is because they don't have a dedicated win back team, what happens is that it gets transferred from the account management team, the new everyone, to the hunting. So, the relationships that you had no longer is not with it's with a new individual who has a different profile very often in terms of how they manage their accounts. Their role is to get in that new, right? And so it's a different approach. So I I think there is a, I think it's a huge opportunity to create that cluster of third as to say, we had something, we lost it, let's regain it, but use, use all our strengths from what we had to regain it plus whatever else we have now. And they don't think in that way.
0: And again, is it because no one is incentivized? Or there's nobody there who's directly responsible for lost customers and for keeping in contact with them, watching where the champions go, all that kind of thing. I think
1: the problem again, this
0: is it's
1: about account management. And I think as we are seeing account management shifting to more of a customer success management, right. And that is, so if the, again, going back to incentives, right? So let's say for a second that you have a rounded team of seasoned sellers. Who manages a territory of accounts, whether that they're an acquisition or their win back or developing what you have? The problem is that if I'm not going to make any money on this account for three years, and I have an eight to nine hour workday, I have a quota and I have thirty-five, forty other accounts, where am I about to spend my time? Again, incentives. Yeah. So in my view, I think that one of the things, the simplest thing to do is you, I would certainly put a nurturing program where you can do a lower touch nurturing element, both with human touch and digital touch, make sure that they're included in everything you do in that sense to do that. And I think some may may actually do that. But again, if I'm not gonna make any money on this in the next six to 12 months, And no one is, there's not someone else responsible, I'm
0: leaving it. Sure. That makes total sense. So if we do a win back, if we do want to go out and win back some of these lost customers, should we try to win back all of them or should we prioritize certain groups?
1: That's a really good question. And I'm going to answer that in a kind of a sideways manner. Like, I'll give you a perfect example of this. So, and this is in the public domain, and it has to do with my business associate. And so we can tell the story, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, right? So she came from Julia Packet Enterprise, or HP. Let's call them HP. It's a little easier to say. And their big challenge has been this move to the cloud, right? So we got Azure on the Microsoft side, Google, and AWS, right? So their classical business of selling infrastructure to data centers is a declining business so the question is it in in a context of trying to win back someone who's moved to the cloud no right in in that sense someone who moved to dell emc maybe right but then something happens right, right. they make a bold strategy shift and they say by end of 2022 which is now all of the things that you normally would buy for us, put in your own data center, will be available in a consortium model as if it was cloud, right? Now, all of a sudden, you can have a pure win-back strategy on those that went back to, that, that left you, that was wall-to-wall in their own data center, but then went to, let's say, AWS. And now, you can create a hybrid infrastructure for them at your HP, right? So now it makes a lot of sense to have a win-back strategy for those customers that fit that. But if you, if the context, if the market changes so much and the context changes so much in the market and your customers, not everyone you should be trying to, you shouldn't be trying to win back off because you may not be able to create value from them any longer. So you really have to look at this on a case-by-case scenario in the context. And I think the HP example is really interesting. Because first their, their external context changes to where my answer to would be no. Now all of a sudden their internal context changes because their portfolio changes. Now the answer is yes. So you have to look at that context.
0: That's interesting. And so if I was an HP customer and I moved to say AWS and now HP comes out with this new program. HP would know a lot about me because we worked together for 11 years. So they know so much of what's important to us. So they could actually customize something or make something that's more compelling, a, a better value proposition than what AWS did potentially. Does, would that be something that comes you, into play? Yeah. The, the, in in the, theory,
1: theoretically right? that should be possible. Absolutely. And, and they would understand why you left their own data center and what you can offer now. So yeah, right. absolutely.
0: I just want to circle back to companies do, not doing win back and like the opportunity that could be there. So I was talking to this woman and in her agency, when she came and took over sales, she just saw all these dormant accounts, nobody had talked to them, some of them in, in, in years, and she set sales records because she's in her new client acquisition, but she also went after those dormant accounts and she got so many of them back. So hmm. do you see in your world, huge numbers of dormant accounts that are being used or not used?
1: Oh, where do I start? I had one project uh, where. It was really interesting, where the original request was we have a problem in we have a problem in of declining market share in this category. It's just going down south. The market is booming all these bits of pieces, okay, so we started to lift rocks and we lift the rocks and lift the rocks and all these things. all of a sudden, once we had actually lifted rocks, we came to the conclusion that give or take fifteen percent of the known accounts in that given market had sat dormant for between 24 and 36 months no one had picked up the phone to call them was it still relevant was it still contextual in the sense that it made sense for some of them absolutely but you don't know that unless you qualify right right? so yes uh, sometimes i think this notion of a dormant account and I find this very, yeah, it, especially the legacy companies that I work with. They have, they know last time they did an opportunity. They didn't, they know last time they won a deal. They know everything. They have all the first party insights that they need in order to avoid, quote unquote, dormant accounts, but they still do.
0: Again, just cut back to there's no incentive?
1: No, in this case, I'm actually not sure what happened in this case. I think in this case, it was simply the case that um, partially, yes, partially incentive and incentive because these dormant accounts were not assigned to anyone in their territories, which meant that they were left alone, there was no one assigned, which means no one's going to get it. So even if I went in there as a sales rep, and I picked up these, and I started calling them, you know what? They're not assigned to me. I'm, going to get, I'm not going to get paid.
0: One of the things you said in the pre in our pre chat, you talked about markets are finite, and can you just speak to that a little bit and how important that idea is?
1: Yeah. So we have a few utilitarian offers out there, right? But very few in the B two B. Utilitarian offers, like every business needs some other electricity, but that maybe from your landlord coming through, right? And you need. Maybe you need some computing devices and a mobile phone these days. If you're a SaaS company or your legacy company, like the ones I talk about, talk a lot about, you have a finite marketplace. I'll give you a perfect example. Public, you can, everyone can look this up, right? Sweden, where I happen to reside, there are only eight thousand companies with more than ten million dollars of revenue a year. That's finite. In France. Let's call it 45,000. Every one of the big, large, excuse me, every one of the big, large tech companies that I work with, we take the U.S. market in particular, You would think the U.S. market is infinite. But let's say in this case that everyone that I talk to segments the market roughly the same. You're looking at about 800 strategic, large, federal, global brands at the top, call it your end of fortune 500 plus a number of others in the us typically about eight thousand enterprises and then you got commercial below in this particular case and which means that it's your market is finite and i have yet to find a organization that i've ever worked with who has infinite resources to pursue a finite market so the whole notion for us, and this is actually my business partner, Susana, I think she so brilliantly states this. is You need to think about this. Uh, you have a finite market it. and you have finite resources to deploy to pursue that market. The winners will be those who understands and can prioritize the finite market and deploy your resources in the best way to pursue that market.
0: Yeah. When, when you said that before, I didn't have the quote, I should have, It was, it's brilliant because it it gives you that focus, right? We've got, say there's 10,000 people, our total addressable market is 10,000 companies. If we're reaching out to, we can only reach out to so many per month or so many per quarter. And if we've already got a thousand or a hundred that we've already, we don't need to spend three months engaging them and five months building relationships. If we've already got that because we've got finite time. Shifting some of those resources to that group where we've already laid a bunch of the groundwork, like you said, with mm-hmm. these dormant accounts, it's just so important. And it just all comes down to what you said before. It's prioritizing what is the highest and best use of our time. Yeah. And I
1: think the only thing to, to that, is, and I think this is the problem i find especially in some of these bigger is mm-hmm. that what is time? And the problem is time is a quarter or a half or a fiscal year. If they looked at time at a slightly longer interval, I, th- I think they, they, they i think, I think things would have looked at it in a different way.
0: Definitely. You expand that out to say a year longer to what your average sales site or contract length is that you might do some experimenting to see just what kind of payback do you get for a win back? Because maybe you don't get a, a great payback or maybe you do, but you don't know that until you extend your time horizon, as you said. So we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with? I think
1: that uh, I wish, especially the companies that I work with in the big, I wish big uh, bigger companies, I wish they had a more, they had a more a win back mentality. And what I mean by that is the enablement, systematic enablement of understanding is that this customer left us. We now know that there's going to be a time window when we may not be able to sell them anything. Because maybe it was our first competitor had that specific account as their competitive takeout this year. And that's the primary reason why we lost. They just pulled down their pants, quite frankly, pricing wise, and we were just not going to match it. And that's why. And then to have a systematic approach to say, we understand this, we know next time our window is going to come up and then play with that. I really wish people would think. I think I wish they would put that more in, in play, in systematic play. play. But the incentive models are against that, and I really wish that there was a different. I think that's. I think that's the one thing I want to leave one, which is specific to win back, because I think it's a very important topic. Dan, I, I love the way you drive this agenda on it, because I think uh, we need to think about that uh, in, in, in that sense. And, and I think yeah. the other thing is, as I said before, is um, I think people need to think about the fact that not everyone is your customer and you always have finite a finite market and your role is to develop that with the best of your abilities with what you have and to prioritize in that and not forget that
0: finite market finite resources everything you can factors. with everything It sent everything That's, properly yeah. yeah fantastic stuff really appreciate this Hans um if anyone would like to learn more about you or your company, where would they go? I
1: think the first simplest thing is connect with me with LinkedIn, Hans Bounes. Uh, the name is up, The B-U-N-E-S, is. you'll find me. Our website is BounesFerenzi.com. Probably a little more difficult to spell and maybe ask but your show up. notes. I think that would be a little easier to people. And I always love a good conversation about B2B sales and marketing, and, and particularly about customers. Excellent. Thanks so much, Hans. Thanks for having me, Dad.